Good evening, our friends. We're so happy that you are here. You are in the Win Wellness Group. And, uh, Win Wellness Homes of Hope and, and Health. That's right. And we, <laughs> and health. <laughs> okay. We know that some of you have come just to get information. And that's the only reason you're here, because you, you, some of you are here because you want to hear Wes Youngberg tell all that he knows about the research, current research in diabetes and in, um, uh, on vitamin D, sunlight, and all these kinds of things. Some of you are here for that purpose. Some of you are here to get information as to how you can have a conduct a win wellness seminar. And some of you are here because you are interested in becoming a trainer of other people to do this kind of ministry. We are going in um, April to Singapore and we're going to be training trainers uh, because it isn't enough to just train you, but if we want the ripple effect, we would be so pleased if you would become a trainer of trainers to do this ministry. We're also going to China right after, right after our stay in Singapore, and there we're going to train trainers of Chinese uh, we're going to China, and there we're going to be training trainers in four different metropolitan areas in China. They've already translated some of the material that you will be getting into Chinese. And uh, anyway, it's really getting exciting to see how God is opening up the doors all over the world. During the uh, Christmas break, there was one person from Loma Linda who was in public health. He went to, um, to um, where, let's see, India, India. And in India, he trained a different individuals, about 200 young people to, uh, from GYC to do this ministry or to begin training them. And so tonight, it's a training time, it's a, a learning time, it's a joyful time, and we just praise God that you, the Holy Spirit brought you here tonight uh, to uh, learn about how to help people to live, live longer, healthier, happier, and holier. And John, uh, we, we, um, let we, yes, we need prayer, and then we're going to go over your brochure. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful group of people. We've heard the word of God from Elder Jackson tonight. Our hearts are moved, and we know that you have a health message for the world. The world is hurting, and so we come to the, to the humbly, even as disciples who want to walk with Jesus and learn his ways. Be amongst us. We know that all the learning just doesn't come from the front and go to the back. It, it is circular and it comes from all of us and all of us benefit. May your holy angels bring us together in this learning tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And tonight we would like to just quickly give you information, uh, I would say like in a nutshell, uh, which is found in your brochure. Uh, Wes, would you please send me? Okay. 
uh, do all of you have a brochure? We suggest that you keep your brochure because when you leave here, uh, some of the information that is on this brochure can be valuable to you in your marketing in the future as you invite people to come to your wellness uh, homes of hope ministry. Uh, you will notice at the very beginning it says that it is integrated balanced living, uh, which includes the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the relational, uh, a wellness, and uh, we also uh, indicate here that uh, when wellness is a ministry of healing model. John, what does that mean to you? Well, actually, ministry healing is the most one, one of the most wonderful books that Ellen White ever wrote. Maybe, maybe Desire of Ages and Steps to Christ would be first, but ministry healing would be right up there. And if we open the books, the, the covers of that book, we find a model. It isn't in a diagram. We, we've tried to dry diagram it, but it's not in a, in a diagram there. But it brings out different aspects of health. Have you noticed that Ellen White in that book dedicates seven chapters to the family? Oh, what does that say about ministry of healing? Seven chapters on the family. Some people get stuck on page 123 that says there are eight natural remedies. But how about the other seven chapters that say that only deal with the family? And so, uh, and of course, the introductory chapters that are so wonderful dealing with Christ as a healer, as a teacher, and the whole spiritual dimension. Uh, we are, uh, we consider wind wellness, and you, will, you yourselves will judge if this is a ministry of healing model to show the synergistic relationship of the different spheres of life, including the physical sphere, including the mind-spirit sphere, including the relationship sphere of the family. We know that if individuals have problems in their family, they can possibly have health problems and they can have spiritual problems if they have marriage problems or problems with children or stresses and all these kinds of things. Now, I might say Homes of Hope and Health is, can be used as solo learning. We have loaned you a book on, uh, most of you have one, which is our book two, which we're going to use tonight. It is not your book, it is for uh, our demonstration of how it can be used, uh, And but tomorrow, you uh, will be able, or in the evening, be able to get your own copy for yourself. Uh, uh, we, we say it's solo learning. You learn, and then you have somebody else come join you on your health and spiritual journey. If you have a husband and wife, you learn, then you, that's duo learning. Then you also learn and then invite other couples to learn with you. If you are a family, your family is learning this material, you invite other families. We want a ripple effect, ripple effect, so it doesn't just stop with one person. And then we are about small group ministry. And besides that, wind wellness uh, can be used for medical evangelism, for seminars, for family and health evangelism. And it does it gently introduce the doctrines. You are the just, presenter. Let me just uh, enlarge upon that thought. 
most of the Seventh-day Adventist doctrines are presented in the Wind Wellness Program. We normally approach a program, a topic like this, a gripping story, followed by scientific information. Then we phase into inspiration. What does the Bible say on that same subject? And then we phase into transformation. If this is true, what are we going to do about it? Is there some lifestyle change, even if it's a mini step? Everybody's not ready to take a huge leap. But no one should go out of one of our meetings the same as when they came to the meeting. All right. This evening, we, um, uh, we have already said. But Millie, the point I was going to make, okay. which left me. Okay. But the point I was going to make. Old age, you know. Is that it includes the doctrines. And so when we deal with hope, we deal with the psychological construct of hope and its importance to physical health. But then we bridge over to the blessed hope. Jesus is coming again. When we present rest, we start with sleep deprivation and wonderful scientific information. But we bridge over into what doctrine can you get? The Sabbath. And we end up asking them, how would you like to spend your first Sabbath with the Lord? And so all the, I shouldn't say all, we do not spend, we do not present the spirit of prophecy as a doctrine, although we quote from Ellen White many times, but our major doctrines are there in wind wellness. And so people are using this and people are being baptized as we will show you in just a few minutes. And I just <coughs> want to say that if you have Buddhist and, uh, and um, Jewish people or others, you may wish to be lighter on the doctrines uh, rather than and hold it until they're quite ready. So it's up to you. Okay, John, we have many things Ellen White says about ministry, uh, medical missionary work. Would you please hold The this? medical missionary work is as the what? Right on. And when our son West presents this, he says, remember, it's not the right fist. Uh, some people present this as the right fist uh, of, the, of the gospel. The right arm to the third angel's message, which must be proclaimed to a fallen world. Volume 6. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. How many people, uh, let's see, every church, uh, is there a conference uh, health director here in our midst? How many churches do you have in your, in your conference? 200, 200 what conference is that? Rocky Mountain, 200, 200 churches. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. How many medical missionary centers should, should you have in the Rocky Mountain Conference? <laughs> All right, uh, did I see another hand of a director? What's, what conference are you with? Iowa, Missouri. Iowa, Missouri. How many churches? Let's say about 110. 110 churches. How many medical missionary centers should you have in Iowa, Missouri? 110 plus every church. 110 plus. All right, you've got the right, right idea. The medical missionary work uh, should be a part of the work of every church in the land. Now, 
Millie, I think we've skipped the, okay. The medical missionary work should be part of the work of every church in the land, volume six, 289. Next one. Uh, 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 did we skip this one? Every member of the church should be a medical missionary. I don't, I, we perhaps have passed it by, but uh, we can give you the reference later. Okay, so this is for everybody, and it is not for just health professionals. Say, well, if I had a doctor's degree, I could do this. Or if I were a nurse or a public health specialist, that'd be for me. No, every member should be a medical missionary. And in a few minutes with Pam and Marsha, they're gonna show us more about this. It is also a bridge to a new spiritual journey for yourself, John and I and Wes, all of us have learned so much by being in this work. I, I have to even set an alarm clock to make sure I get my water, drink my water, and I'm trying, I do exercises. They even laugh at me at the, at the motel when I walk in, in the, in the, at the desk and do an exercise kicking and, you know. So I'm trying, I really am. Uh, um, uh, it is about changing the demography of heaven. That's, uh, those are some of our goals. Now, we just want to share something about small groups. We said it's evangelistic. It's also for small groups. Worldwide, small groups are beginning to be the end thing, really the end thing with the Hispanics. Hispanics are using it. The uh, people in the Philippines are using it. Uh, people in Mexico are having small groups. It's time the people in the United States of America and, and Canada, Canada <laughs> and Bermuda and yeah, use start into, um, into small group ministry. And it is working beautifully. Now, I'm just going to show you here. Um, here it says, every member to be uh, involved in medical missionary work. We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work everywhere people are uh, perishing for a lack of knowledge of the truth that have been committed to us. Volume 7, page 62. Now, now here it is on the small groups. We put the um, anyway, the formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort is a plan that has been presented before me by one, capital O, who cannot err. If there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for the church members, but for unbelievers also. And so we have been encouraged to do this. Here's one more. The presentation of Christ in the family by the fireside uh, and in small gatherings in private houses is often more successful in winning souls to Jesus than sermons delivered in the open air to the moving throng or even in halls or churches. And we go to... And here are some small uh, groups in the Philippines, and it's exciting. When they are in small groups, you see more laughter, more fun, more enthusiasm, more love, more caring, more tears. And so great things are happening in the small groups. And here in, in this is a union. No, this a conference. Is one mission conference. This is one mission conference. 
over 80% of the church members in this one conference are involved in small groups. And uh, let's see. And here, this pastor in, in the Philippines had, had gone back to start his church, to get him involved in small groups and in, go on into evangelism. But he said, I do, do I did, we are doing, are we, he said, we're going to do just what you have done and start these small groups and do evangelism. It ended up that he started training his people, but they told everybody else what was happening. Other people came and they began to baptize. They baptized 47 people. And this has happened in other areas, in Jamaica, in, in Barbados, other places as well. Now, Claire, Michigan, we have a report to you from two of our helpers. One is Pam Connectal and uh, Marsha uh, Lincoln. They come from a huge church where they've got lots of people. Well, actually, they only have about 100, right? right. And um, anyway, their church needed a shot in the arm, and this is what happened. Yes, well, um, we're lay people, and um, we were invited to a um, Change Your World seminar by our conference. Uh, personal Ministries uh, leaders uh, went up to our, our camp, and uh, it just so happened that before we were invited, I was um, um, three weeks out from just having uh, major surgery from having some cancerous tumors removed. And um, I was not in really any shape to really be going up there, but um, we're personal ministries directors in our church. And the biggest thing that is, that's the biggest thing that's important to us is the unification of our church and um, that we see each person experience the joy of knowing what it feels like to win a soul. And um, so we're just pressing forward, and um, we, I was packed and ready to go with some help from friends and husband, and went to pick up Marsha, and uh, she was pulling and twisting, trying to get her suitcase out of her, her closet, and a fracture to T11. Uh, compression fraction in her in her back, so we were either one of us was in no shape to do what we were doing. But like we said, we were we were pressing on because there was a, a bigger mission, um, and it was set up up there just pretty much like it is here. Uh, there were the keynote speakers and then the breakaway sessions, and we heard about Millie and John's meeting on homes of hope and health, and the Holy Spirit just said that's where you need to go, and um, in this change your world um, a seminar it really changed our world and um, those of those that we've met since. Um, since then, uh, and that's been less than a year ago, uh, seven, we've had seven uh, baptisms. We've had uh, three uh, of our uh, church members be um, giving their hearts back to, to Jesus, uh, recommitted. There's been one come in by profession of faith, and there's five more waiting in the wings being being uh, tr uh, ready f readied for baptism. So that's just in less than a year uh, through Homes of Hope. Um, I'm going to let Marcia tell you some of the tremendous stories 
uh, a couple. Every night we're going to tell you stories about things that have happened and how this can be possible in your church as well. So uh, Marcia's going to tell you about uh, Terry and um, okay. Terry and Al okay. and uh, tell them about Philip. Okay. So Al and Terry, but first it's about Al. My husband was at church because he needed to meet with Al. Al does uh, um, elect, yeah, uh, electricity, yeah, air conditioning. There you go. Thank you. And my husband got to talking, which my husband often does. His name is John too, but <laughs> and uh, he started basically giving Al a mini Bible lesson. And Al was so intrigued, and then he got into Homes of Hope. Al was more intrigued. We have ended up at his home, but before we came to his home, that very Sabbath, he came to church with his wife, Terry. And so we've had two meetings. The second meeting, my husband told me yesterday that not only did they have two Baptists, which are Al and Terry, but we, and we had two other couples that are Baptists. So we're doing Homes of Hope in a Baptist home who's uh, believing that the Adventists have the truth. Amen. And it's based on friendship. Then with Philip, it's quite a story because we had the little flyers out and it says Homes of Hope and so we got a phone call at our house because our phone number was on there. And the gentleman says, so um, is this a place where you can come and stay for a while? Is it a home where if you've been kicked out of your home? And my husband said, well, no. He said, well, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was that. So later on, he sees a brochure that my husband and I had put out for a seminar at our church, and he appears there. So then he, he ends up being baptized, goes through the seminar, then he's in Bible studies that I was giving, then he was in two homes of hope a week. So that's how not only does it bring people in, but it's mentoring those you have already brought in. So. And we're finding that it's much about relationships. Yes. Uh, we want to tell you more about that tomorrow and, um, and again, how it's unifying our church. But did you remember Elder Jackson saying tonight that it's not about your ability, it's about your availability? Um, if you invest yourself in the people in your community and those in your church and bring them through Homes of Hope meetings, I, this, this is, this has revolutionized the way that we do ministry in our church. Obviously, we have these people waiting for baptism and, and um, our, every church member, it's, instead of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, 100% of the people are doing 100% of the work. And it's incredible what's happening. Thank you. And I, I was thinking about this Philip 
uh, he was kicked out of his home. He had no place to live. And uh, so he was looking for, searching for a place. And um, the, uh, the church members not only invited him into the Homes of Hope, he, they also found a place for him to live. And when I met him, I said, Philip, how are things going with your parents? And he says, oh, great, great. They, they called me. They want me back. And then he also said, I said, have you forgiven them? because forgiveness is an important part of homes and of hope and health. And he said, oh, yes, you know, of course, like, and, and that is healing as well. And so we praise God for the things that are happening there. Now, Wes, it's your turn, and, <laughs> and we are happy that you are. He is our beloved son, one of our beloved sons. We've got two beloved ones. <laughs> And we're happy. Wes is from Temecula, California. He's gotten his doctorate in health science. <clears throat> he was public in health. public health. Uh, he was in Guam. Yeah. Well, they used to call it health science. Now they call it public health. And, and he also was for 14 years having his own radio program. And when I hear Wes speaking, I say, is that our son? <laughs> the radio show was not my full-time job, by the way. Um, that was something that we just developed on the fly, and uh, I frequently would, would be praying and thinking about what I was going to talk about on the way to the live hour-long show. And, uh, and that's just about spending time every day learning a little bit more about health so that when you actually do presentations or you do radio shows, you don't have to worry about somebody asking you a question you don't know, because there's always something you don't know. No matter how smart you are, I realized it was really egotistical of me to think, what if somebody asked me something I don't know? That's crazy. Uh, then you just say, well, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll look it up. And next week, we'll talk about that. And so there's no stress when you're doing presentations. You don't have to act like you have all the final answers. You're just there building relationships and helping people better understand uh, something about their needs relative to health. What are their risk factors and how can they change those risk factors to their benefit? Well, today we're gonna, or this evening, we're gonna be looking at, at this topic of genetic transformation. And, but because this is also a workshop, I want this to be real practical. As you can see, I have the PowerPoint presentation just set up like I'm just starting to work on this. The value of Win Wellness programs is that most of us, most of us that are either in the health field professionally or we're in the health field peripherally as lay individuals, we don't have a lot of time to put together good presentations or good materials. My parents and I have been spending, well, we spent the last eight years or so putting these materials together, that's taking a lot of time. But the presentations that I give, I've kind of adapted this whole wind wellness strategy into my own style, which is exactly what you should do as well. But I wanted to show you, I could take, take the, the DigiPack, where is it? There, the DigiPack that has all presentations on it, all the Homes of Health, Hope and Health presentations on it, pull, pull it right into my computer, pull it, that's it. I just did this 30 minutes ago. Pulled it up. There's the presentation for Homes and Hope on genes, on but I've got bad genes, that question that comes up so often. And so the simple thing is 
uh, for about 15 minutes before a presentation, you can quickly look at what you want to do. And, and then I can, as you're just looking with me, I say, okay, I want to just, I just want to move these three slides. And I'm going to move them over here because I don't want to talk about those in that order. Because we all need to bring in our personal experience into presentations. What people don't like to hear is somebody that goes, okay, now slide two. Oh, yeah, uh, predetermined. Okay, and then, we, and then you just go through what somebody else has done. You want to, you can go through the same slides, of course, but you need to individualize it. You need to personalize it. And that's what really is valuable for individuals. They get to know you as a presenter. Uh, you're, they're actually building a relationship with them in that way. And so afterwards, they can come up and talk to you, and they will tell you things that they won't even tell their family members. They will tell you things that are really bothering them, that they have not been willing to even tell their best friend for the last 20 years because now they have a, there's a trust that has been built uh, with you. All right, so I've already shifted the presentation to what I want to do tonight in, in giving you an update on this topic. Because some of you have already heard some of this information. You've seen some of these presentations in the past. So I'm going to rearrange it to update. So then, uh, I just click the first slide now. And now we are ready to move forward with, with this presentation. Now, I'm, I'm going to actually tell you the, the story of two patients. These are two patients that I've seen within the last week. Patient number one. Um, a gentleman and his wife came in to see me, and they had driven from about an hour away. And um, as I always do at the beginning of the time, I said, I said, please tell me what your motivation is for being here. What, what is it that has brought you to our clinic? And, um, and so the gentleman took a sigh and said, well, about, about 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And um, it, it was still in the early stages, and so it was, uh, I decided to go ahead and have the standard treatments, chemo and radiation. And I was told that, hey, you're good. The, the, everything had been taken care of. And so I, I just thought, well, this is great. All that is done. And, and, and I didn't think that at the time that there was any necessity of doing anything more than just what I'd been asked to do by my urologist and oncologist. He and his wife had always been interested in, in health. They had grown up within the Seventh-day Adventist church. But, but they hadn't really they hadn't really looked at health specifically for them. They were just kind of doing the healthy things that Adventists do. Okay, or better said, not doing the unhealthy things that Adventists avoid. And so, so one of the questions that I want to ask you tonight with regards to our health and wellness is, is uh, our health defined by the bad things that we don't do? And, and I'm, 
this is an important thing to, for us to be thinking about. What defines us as people? Is it the fact that we don't do certain bad things in our lives? What defines us in Adventist, as Adventists? Is it because we don't do certain things? So I remember growing up as an Adventist, and uh, I would, uh, I would, there was, our Adventist school was fairly close to a public school, and since the principal at our Adventist school was actually, had been the chief of police in the town that we lived, we actually were, were being bused by the public school busing system. It was, it was kind of an interesting situation. And so, so there was a common, there was an interrelationship with some of the public school uh, kids that are our same age. I actually made some very good lasting friendships with them. But it was interesting to me that when initially they're getting to know me, they say, oh, you, you're the, yeah, you're one of those uh, uh, Adventists, <laughs> right? You, know, the, you can tell when somebody doesn't, doesn't know a lot about Adventists when they, use, when they pronounce Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist, <laughs> okay? okay? Uh, and, um, and you say, oh, yeah, you're the guys that, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that and you don't do that other. That was how they defined a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, that's why it's so important, as we learn from Pam and Marsha, that we have to develop relationships. Because unless they actually get to know us, that is going to be the definition of Seventh-day Adventist. There has to be something better than what we don't do. And so, and so as we look at our health, are we, is our health defined by the bad habits that we don't do? No, it is to a degree. It certainly is to a degree. But I'd like to suggest that our health is most largely defined by the good things that we actually participate in. And that is far more important than the bad things that we don't do. Far more important. Now, they're both important, but the priority is critical because if I continue to focus, and, we, and those of us that have been involved in, in, in help, trying to help individuals make better decisions in all walks of life, whether it's health or spiritually or, or uh, vocationally or whatever it might be, we understand that it's very difficult if we just keep focusing on avoiding the bad things. Because now our entire, our entire focus is, oh, I better not do that, or I better not do that. Rather, if we focus on making sure that we're participating in so many good things that we're actually naturally crowding out all those bad things, even the opportunity to participate in those bad things because we're so involved in things that are actually good for us. So especially this is true as we're looking at the dietary paradigm. We'll be looking at that more throughout the weekend. That many times people think, well, you know, I, I don't drink this. And I don't eat this. So how come, how come I have these health problems? Okay, of course, there's a lot of reasons. I'm not, I don't want to suggest that, that we would ever want to be involved in victim blaming. There's a lot of reasons why things happen. Okay? But what we want to be focusing on, am I taking advantage 
of the good things that I didn't even realize were good. So this gentleman tells me about his history with prostate cancer. And, and so I'm, I'm waiting for him to tell him else the real reason why he's here. He says, well, it was just um, a few months ago that my doctor told me that it was back. In fact, it wasn't just back, but it was already stage four prostate cancer, which means it's already spread well beyond the, the prostate gland, and now it's in the bone. But, but the previous treatments had seemed to keep it at bay. So he says, we don't need to do anything. We'll just wait and see. And if it starts to grow or spread further, then we'll talk about chemo and, and other therapies. And so he, he had come to, to uh, our lifestyle nutritional medicine clinic to, to ask the question, what, I don't want to just wait. I don't want to just sit here and wait <laughs> for something bad to happen. I want to know, is there something that I can be doing right now? And so what we did is we decided to do an exploratory evaluation. We're looking at, we wanted to look at as much information, as much, many of the blood tests and other things that tell us about how the body works and potentially how the body could actually change the way the genes work. Uh, and as we were doing that, he was concerned because his father had had prostate cancer. And he was just asking the question, is, is it really, should, should, should I even expect that there's anything that I can do? Or is it too late? I've got bad genes. Um, what I'd like you to do with me right now is pull out this book and turn to page 14. Okay, everybody has a copy of this in front of them. So what I'd like, what I'd like to re request is that I'd like four volunteers, somebody that, with, that has a strong, booming voice, four of you. And I'd like, I'd like each of you to read one of four uh, paragraphs. Volunteers. All right. Okay. Read number one, please. Look for and recognize what is of value in others and then share it. When people sense they Oh, no, page 14. Oh, you're... Okay. Uh, okay, I guess this one's different. Uh, let's go to chapter 10, first paragraph. Here, just read this right here. Where's the chapter, a gene chapter, where's it? Or did it get you? Okay. Uh, you want to say something? Our latest version <laughs> of this has the gene chapter, chapter 12 on page 25. Okay. I think you have the latest version in your hands. All right. Okay, you I didn't get the latest version. <laughs> he's, okay. uh, he's the author I'm of the, this, but he lives right. in California. Okay, so, all right. We published this last week. Okay, all right, starting over, chapter 12, first paragraph. Page 25. Page 25. Yes. This topic on genetics is extremely important for the reader since it can affect your life positively. Although it is more scientific than our most chapters, 
the information is valuable and can be life-saving. Can be life-saving. One more, vo another volunteer. Julia was leaving one afternoon for a weekend with her adult daughter in the big city when she remembered her appointment to have a mammogram. I would like to cancel it, but I'll just breeze in and have it done at the clinic, she told, and we'll be on our way. Okay, read the next one. The mammogram was finished, and she was putting on her clothes when the x-ray technician asked for a second x-ray and a third. Julia went on her way with somehow apprehensively. Several hours later, she received a phone call. Julia, this is Dr. Newmeyer. The radiology reports are in, and we have concerns about the small lump on your left breast. It has changed in size and density. I'd like you to come into the clinic Monday for biopsy. The weekend had taken an unexpected turn. Okay, another volunteer. Monday morning, Julia sat motionless and stunned. Her primary care physician spoke. Can we review the cancer history of your family? Yes, she sadly answered. I guess I should have expected this. My mother had breast cancer. My aunt Nell died of cancer complications. My cousin had a mastectomy. I might have known. It seems to be in our family genes. What can I do, she thought. My daughter is probably predestined to the same fate. Later, the biopsy report showed that Julia did have breast cancer. Okay, another volunteer. Okay. Was Julia's cancer an inevitable result of inherited genes? Has she simply been dealt a bad hand? What about you? In the back of your mind, do you wonder if or when you will get that phone call from your doctor? Okay, and another volunteer. When there has been a persistent history of family breast cancer, some have undergone genetic testing for specific cancer genes. This is what Lynn did at age 29. The results revealed a 70% likelihood of eventually getting the most lethal form of breast cancer known. What were her options? She could have a bilateral mastectomy. She could try to change her gene expression and by adjusting her lifestyle, turn off the lethal cancer gene that ran in her family. Whichever option she chose, she must be absolutely serious about it and have close medical supervision. Okay, two more volunteers. All right, you see we're trying to get as many people involved as possible. Whatever will be, will be, are you sure? In the world today, there are people who believe that they are made to be what they are, that there is nothing they can be, that they can do about it. Some thieves say that they have been made to be thieves. Some assassins feel that they were naturally programmed to kill. But are people truly made to be thieves or killers? Are we all programmed to be what we are? Okay. They see that. A few years ago, the song Kesara Sera, Whatever Will Be Will Be, made it to number two on the charts as the most popular song of the time and received an Oscar. But this song suggests that our future is predetermined and there's not much that we can do about it. Do you believe that? And so as, as you can imagine, as we're, as we're looking in a small group setting or even in a larger group setting, 
getting interaction among everybody in the room and, and initiating a discussion, a presentation that brings up a discussion that's a very emotional discussion. There's a lot of science involved. There's a lot of risk involved. There's a lot of questions involved. Uh, but it allows us to start talking about what's really going on, with the fears that we have with that dreaded diagnosis, and what are the things that we can do about not only working on that, but also preventing those problems from occurring. I tell you what motivated me to get involved with this from the very beginning. My, my mother, and I've told this story before, so I'll be brief. My mother was diagnosed with, with terminal, my, yeah, my first mother. I'm one of those lucky few that have two wonderful mothers. But my, my biologic mother was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer when I was 10 years old. And uh, she was given four to six weeks to live. She was a fighter. She lived for nine months. But we knew, she knew before her surgery that there would come a day soon when she would not be there for her sons, John and Wesley. We were 10 and 11. That must have been a horrible thing for her to go through. It was tough for all of us to go through. But I remember one fall day when I was 13 years old, my father and I were in our yard in Bering Springs, Michigan, raking leaves. There was a lot of leaves in our yard. And, and I, as after, after some time, because we were spending hours and hours raking leaves, our conversation turned from normal, everyday conversation to, Dad, what, what happened? What happened with Mom? Why, why, did she, why did she get this horrible cancer? Tell me what happened. And I remember looking at my dad, and he didn't say a word. He, he leaned on his rake, and as he looked off into the distance, I could tell that he was thinking. And he wasn't sure what to say to me, a 13-year-old boy, vulnerable, still just a few years from the loss of his mother. And I remember looking at you, Dad, and I said, Dad, I wish that I could know what my risks are so that I wouldn't have to go through the same fate that Mom went through. I wish I could know them now so that I could, I could somehow prevent that from happening to me. And that... That was the watershed moment. I, I remember it like it was just two weeks ago, where my passion for lifestyle medicine, for nutritional medicine, came alive. And, and I remember spending hours reading this wonderful book that we have been given as a church, The Ministry of Healing. And not only did it... Did it give me insights as to what the emphasis and focus should be in our quest to prevent disease and even manage disease effectively. But more important than that, it brought me closer to Jesus. That book attracted me because of my interest in health, because of my recognition of my risk. Okay? But, but more than that, it introduced me 
to the love of Jesus as a creator God for somebody who would do anything for us. And, and that's really what the, the ministry of healing model is. The win wellness model of health and healing is, is to follow that same approach that I learned as a 13-year-old boy because I had decided that I want to prevent that type of thing from happening to me. And so I dedicated my life to make sure to, to learn how I could help other people do the same thing. So, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Is, is our health, is our future destiny relative to disease predetermined? And what we'd like to present to you today, and what the science is clearly showing us today, is that that is not true. This outdated idea that our genes determine our fate was, was basically shown to be false 10 years ago when researchers actually decoded the human genome and recognized, wow, we actually only have about 35,000 genes. And each of these, those genes are powerfully influenced by every decision we make every day. Powerfully influenced. The gene that does not determine our fate. Okay? Our choices determine what our genes do in establishing our predispositions. So uh, the story of the two patients with prostate cancer. Okay, can I modify how my genes express themselves? Can I potentially change that? Patient number one has now gotten to the point where he is in advanced stage four of prostate cancer. And he's been told that he has somewhere between 12 and 18 months to live. His doctors weren't that excited about getting him on chemo anymore. So he was just coming. I need to put my hope and my faith on something because not having anything to put my hope on is tearing me up inside. There is a principle in health and psychology and what we call psychoneural immunology, the influence of the mind on our nervous system, on our endocrine, and ultimately our immune system. And that is, is that if we passively endure a diagnosis or any stress in our lives, our immune system will be horribly damaged and will be incapable of mounting an effective fight against whatever that pathogen or that cancer or illness is. So a uh, passive stress, where we are just following orders, we are, we are um, waiting for the doctor to tell us when we can now move on to the next therapy, or whatever it might be, that in itself limits our body's natural potential to fight the cancer or fight whatever illness we're, we're dealing with. Active stress, on the other hand, is where now we are actively involved in a process. We recognize that this is serious. There's 12 to 18 months to live according to somebody 
who works with these type of patients every day for many years and decades. So I need to take that seriously. I can't deny that diagnosis. I can't deny that prognosis. And it was Norman Cousins uh, in his extensive writings on this subject, he says, he says, don't deny the diagnosis. And I would add to that, don't deny the prognosis, but defy the verdict. That's the point. You defy the verdict because as soon as you accept that prognosis, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're allowing it to happen. You are... You are waving the white flag in front of the immune system that otherwise still would be able to mount a potentially effective attack. So we, we, ha we, can't, we can't deny the diagnosis or prognosis. We have to defy the verdict. And, and God has given us a health message that we can use in a very active way to move forward and have faith that that will have a big impact in improving our health. So, um, second patient. And we'll come back to patient number one in a minute. The second patient came in to me and said, uh, this was just yesterday, just yesterday. Came in right after lunch. And um, he, said, um, he said, you remember me? He wasn't there for an appointment. He just came. So it's one of those serendipitous moments. And uh, so I said, yes, I remember you. How can I help you? He says, um, he says uh, I just want, do you, you have a minute? I just want to tell you a quick story. And I was actually extremely busy at the time. But, but I've learned to listen, to listen to that still small voice. There's something important going to happen here. And so I said, absolutely, tell me what's on your mind. He says, remember when I came to see you about a year ago? And I was trying to remember those details. They're, they're somewhere in the charts, right? And, and I said, well, tell me, tell me, uh, tell me your story. And he had come to me because he had been diagnosed with advanced stage three prostate cancer. Now, there's, there's four stages, okay? Stage one is where the cancer has been identified but it's still relatively small, and it's definitely within the prostate gland itself. Stage two is where that, that cancer is no longer microscopic, but it's actually starting to grow, but it's still definitely within the gland itself. Stage three is where that cancer is actually crossed, just crossed the border outside of the prostate gland, and it started to potentially uh, influence or even infect, if you will, the seminal vesicles that are just neighboring the prostate gland. And then stage, stage four is where that cancer has clearly metastasized and is spread to the lymph nodes or to the bones or some other, some other location in the body. So he said, my, my uh, oncologist, had, had clearly shown me, says, you're, you're in stage three, but not only had it, had it crossed over on one side of the prostate, but it actually crossed over on the other side of the prostate. So that's stage three, A, B, and now C. It's, it's the highest stage you can have and still be in stage three. And, and so they did biopsies, and sure enough, it was just, it was, this is serious. 
And so he was given various options, just like we read in this, in this chapter. And, uh, and he had come asking, what are all the things that I can do? And I remember specifically that the first thing I did, it says, well, let's go to what the medical research shows. Because anytime we're doing this type of work, we need to make sure that we're evidence-based. We're not just coming up with some, hey, why don't, I heard about this on the news the other day, and let's try that, right? No, no, we need to be evidence-based. And we're so fortunate in this field is that there are very few disciplines in healthcare that have more evidence than lifestyle nutritional medicine. There, I cannot keep up with the research information in this field. I cannot keep up. I stopped trying a long time ago. I just do my best to, to try to learn a little bit every day. There's just so much good research out there that's available to us to impact those who have concerns. Well, uh, and so I shared with them the study that had recently been done by Dr. Dean Ornish that, that is discussed in some detail in this very chapter that you have in front of you. And, and so let's, let's, just, let's just briefly review what Dr. Dean Ornish did. Uh, if you've never heard about this before, Dr. Ornish was the physician who over 15 years ago was the very first to take a stand, a very unpopular stand, that heart disease was reversible. I remember being told that I didn't know what I was talking about 20 years ago when I suggested that when I was going through my own professional training. Oh, you obviously haven't been reading the research, Wes. Come on, you can't reverse heart disease. I mean, it's hardening of the arteries. How could you reverse that? Well, he had shown through meticulous research, through, through the best technology available at that time, that if, if individuals joined a comprehensive, the, the, and, and, and actually Dr. Ornish was criticized for having a research program that involved a comprehensive strategy. So wait a minute, we don't do that kind of research here. In research, we pick one thing and evaluate it and see if it helps or not. But, but does that make sense on any level, humanly speaking? That's like saying, okay, okay, I know you're Christians, but you can only do one thing. You can choose prayer or you can choose Bible study. You can't do both because we want to see which one's effective, okay? But in, in spirituality or in health or in any area of life, we have to look at a very broad view and we have to bring all the strategies together. That's why I love the book Ministry of Healing. Okay? It... it, it it showed us what the risks were, but then it provided answers broadly in all the areas, multiple, dozens and dozens of areas that influence our health for the better. And so Dr. Ornish came up with a plan that included four main categories, a plant-based diet, a moderate exercise program, a stress management strategy for each individual that had been diagnosed with a health problem, and then weekly support groups. And 15 years ago, he showed that this approach reversed heart disease. First time ever shown in humans. We knew for, 
for many, many decades that you could reverse heart disease in animals. But somehow, that didn't matter in science, in medical science. That wasn't evidence, apparently. Okay? It had to be done in humans. And so he did it. He showed it. Now, now more recently, in the last few years, he's published this research showing that when they took a group of men with stage 1, early stages prostate cancer, and they were allowed to choose, well, you're just going to wait and see, or you're going to have surgery, or you can do this. And in three months of following this comprehensive lifestyle medicine program, they, they showed an amazing change. They had actually done biopsies. Not to, not, they already knew they had cancer. There was cancer there. But the biopsies were done to evaluate what was going on in the genes. What was going on in the genes? There was, there was many genes understood. And so there was, there was genes that, that promoted cancer. And at the beginning of the study, there was 453 genes that promoted cancer that were actually on. And after three months of following that comprehensive lifestyle medicine strategy, now all those cancer-promoting genes, all 453 of them that were on are now off. Likewise, about the, the 48 genes that were known at the time to be associated with cancer prevention. They fight cancer when they're turned on, but they were all turned off at the beginning of the study. Is it any wonder that those individuals in the study had prostate cancer? And I mean, we could be talking about any, any disease right now. I'm not picking on prostate cancer. Okay? It's, just, it's just an interesting study. We could be talking about, about diabetes. We could be talking about an autoimmune disease. We could be talking about any condition, okay? Because all conditions are driven by whether the genes associated with them are turned on or turned off. And it's not just one or two or three genes. It's hundreds of genes that are influencing that event. Hundreds of genes. And in this case, we see that there were over 500 genes that were, that were turned in the wrong direction. And that collective influence of those 500 plus, of course, there was many more genes than that, those are just the ones that were measured, that we knew about. In just three months, all those genes had switched their direction in a healing way. Okay? So I'd shared that research with patient number two over a year ago. I actually printed out the study itself. And I shared it with them. This is, this is published in one of the best medical journals available today. Right? This isn't just somebody's idea. This is, this is research. This is evidence-based. So if you want to optimize your potential to deal with this effectively in the long run, you have a potential to, to recruit over 500 different different strategies to correct this cancer that we know of. So he took that information. He took, uh, he took information. I had written a, a kind of editorial piece on that. I gave that to him. And so he took that, researched that, did a whole bunch of labs to see where his risks were. 
Because, see, we all have different risk factors. You don't, just, you don't just jump on a program and say, well, what did they do? Okay, they did that. Okay, I'm going to do that. And that's all I need to do. No, you figure out where your, where your weaknesses are, where my weaknesses are. And we concentrate on those while we're also addressing the larger, obvious things that we can do in our lives. And one of the things that he had learned through this broad testing is, is recognizing the hundreds, literally hundreds of studies that were available on the relationship between vitamin D and prostate cancer. Again, you could, vitamin D relates again to just about everything, right? So, but we're just talking about this patient that I saw yesterday. And uh, in fact, he was, he was actually coming in to get some more vitamin D. That's why, he, that's, but it, that was his initial motivation. And then he wanted to tell me his story. And um, because as, as we did that test, we found multiple things that pointed to what we needed to really focus on. See, that one of the values of spending time with the Word of God is because the Holy Spirit, through His Word, will convict us, not in a general sense, but in a very, very specific sense. Wow, that really spoke to me today. This, this, this afternoon, as I was flying in from from uh, California, I was, I was reading through Genesis. I'm fascinated now through Genesis, especially as I, the more I learn about genes and the more I learn about how different things influence our health. Uh, if we have time, I want to tell you how I think how the tree of life influences our genes. And I can't wait to have my genes re-influenced after 6,000 years of those genes not being tweaked properly, not being turned on properly. We have that opportunity, you and I, to, to eat of the tree of life again and, and uh, believe that that will powerfully alter what's going on inside of our bodies. There's no question. If you read Genesis like I did today, there's no question that that, that, that is going to transform us. And that's part of God's will in allowing us to grow up as sheep in a stall. But as I was reading it, I, I also read about the, the vengeance and the revenge and the violence that was in the antediluvian world and why God, God said he, 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 he was sorry that he had created. Man, wow. I mean, can you imagine as a father? I, I thought, could I imagine as a father saying, I'm sorry that I had you? Wow, it must have been really bad. But one of the key issues was is that the thought, every thought of mankind at the time was so violent, so hostile, seeking revenge for every little thing, that was changing the way our genes worked in a powerful way. So it's not just what we eat. It's not just, it's not just what we drink. It's not just the, the, the good or the bad behaviors we're involved in. But what we're thinking right here in our brain has the most powerful influence on genetic expression. So just because we don't act out on something doesn't mean that that, that, that gene is actually being turned on to destroy our bodies. It's an inflammatory hostility that occurs just through our thought process. So I want you to be aware of that as well. So 
So, yes, okay. So patient number two, he tells me, he says, remember how I'd been diagnosed with, with the, the highest grade stage three prostate cancer. But I decided, I, I, I decided that I was going to do everything in my power to fix everything that I had been doing wrong and to, more importantly, make sure I was doing all the things that could turn on all those good genes and turn off all those bad genes. And he told me, he says, I was just sitting there dumbfounded listening to him tell me this. I said, you've got to write this up. You know, I'll put it on the website. This, this, is, this is powerful. He said, I did, I did, I did everything. I just I, I got rid of all the bad things. More importantly, I, I did everything good that I knew I could do based on what I had learned about my body. He says, just, just last month, just in the last few weeks, he said, I went to see my, my urologist and oncologist at Loma Linda University, just, just 45 minutes north of us in Temecula. And, and the, initial, the initial evaluation showed that there was nothing. So the doctor said, no, 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 that can't be right. So, so we're going to be doing biopsies here. So they did, they did four or five biopsies. We're going to find it, right? Because it had spread not just to one side, but the other side, and it had already gotten in the seminal vesicles. And so there's, all we're going to need to do is do half a dozen biopsies, and we're going to see it all over the place. I mean, it's been a year, and he hasn't done any. He didn't do any of the things we told him to do. So, so he's going to be bad, right? They didn't find any in the first six biopsies. They said, no, this, we just, we're just not getting deep enough. We're not, we're not going to the right place. So do another six biopsies. Nothing. Okay. They did another six biopsies. They did, they, they did another group, another group. And so I'm listening to him. Says, I said, how many biopsies did you end up having? He said, they did 71 biopsies on me. They could not believe that they, they couldn't find it. The cancer's got to be there. We saw it there. We have it documented in so many different ways. It's just... It's just, because we, we got to find it, because if we don't find it, we are basically, we are basically uh, going to be responsible for your untimely death. And so I said, well, did, do you have any prostate left? <laughs> okay, okay. And he laughed. And, uh, but, but he said, you know, after the 71st biopsy, the doctor turned to me and he said, you know, your cancer's gone. It's not there anymore. You know, I think we've pretty much proven that. <laughs> and, and so he's, you know, he's telling me this. And, and so here's, here's not just, it's not just the, the great study that Dr. Ornish did with, with early stage cancer in men that can be reversed through the genetic expression, the epigenetic expression in three months' time. But now we see the actual effect in somebody that had actually fairly advanced, very advanced prostate cancer. Powerful, powerful experience. Because he went at this challenge holistically, broadly. He took a, he took a ministry of healing model approach to addressing them. And then, and then uh, I, I said to him, I said, um, I said this was, must really have increased your faith. And he says, oh, I forgot to tell you, I've been praying. I've been praying. I'm a believer in prayer. 
And I said, absolutely, that's such a critical part of the strategy because prayer means we're in control. We're in control in the sense is that we are now giving God control over our lives. But we have to do that. We're in control of that process. We're in control of whether we give that to God or not. Uh, so um, ending the story, the first patient, after he'd done all the blood tests, there had been some complications uh, schedule-wise, and so it had been more than a week to come back to see me. And um, he came in to see me, and he says, um, you know, I got all these blood tests, and I'm really interested in learning about these. He said, but I just got bad news from my doctor. See, the day after he had seen me, he had gone in for another bone scan. And some days later, this doctor called him up and had him come into the office and said, says, your, your metastasis to the bone has increased significantly, and there's three other places now that it wasn't before. You see, he had taken an approach 12 years before. I'm just going to do what I need to do. I'll follow the doctor's instructions. Okay? Maybe a good decision. But that's where it stopped. There was nothing else that I needed to change. I didn't need to evaluate my risk in any other way because I've addressed the problem. But see, he didn't really address the problem. And it had spread. Advanced stage four. As we looked at his labs that day, many things came up. And I'm just going to mention two things uh, because we're running out of time and we want to wrap up with a, with Again, this is a workshop, so we want to do some group things. But as we look at the risk of health in general, and as we, as we look at what are the ways that we can evaluate our health uh, based on modern available testing, I believe that there's, that there's several tests that will tell us the most about our health. And, and if you're interested in learning what those five tests are, I recently did, uh, wrote an article for a local paper in Southern California, and it's, it's, it's actually on my website. If you just go to dryoungberg.com and just go to articles, I just redid the website. So that's actually the only article I posted right now. Um, and, it, and it has to do, um, uh, it has to do with medical tests that you can use to tune up your body to improve your health in the new year. Two of the tests. Number one is looking at what tendency we have to an imbalance in blood sugars. You might be thinking, wait a minute, this guy's got prostate cancer and you're talking about blood sugars? Come on, give me a break. I mean, that can't be important when somebody has cancer. Really? Not if you understand the cause of cancer. It's extremely important. One of the factors that is, that is powerfully involved in increasing our risk of cancer or heart disease or diabetes or, what, or many, many inflammatory autoimmune disease, et cetera, is, is if we have a subtle blood sugar imbalance where the pancreas now has to make extra insulin to control that slightly elevated blood sugar. And guess how many of us fit into that category? It's the vast majority of us. In other words, the vast majority of us have subtle insulin-resistant issues. Most of us don't know. I, 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 
suspect, I, I uh, assume roughly that 90% of people with prediabetes, which is essentially a serious insulin resistant condition, don't know they have it. It's because we're not taking advantage of tests that easily pick that up, like a two hour glucose tolerance test. It's not as popular anymore because we're focusing on the fasting test. But the fasting test misses most of the cases, in my opinion because it's like doing a resting blood pressure versus a blood pressure under exercise stress, which is more likely to pick up a problem with the heart? The exercise one, okay? So that's the first test. And my mother's crowding me out, okay? <laughs> okay, uh, all right, so that's, that's the first test. Understand, is there an insulin excess associated with a blood sugar imbalance? And I, I suspect that probably, probably, 75% or more of individuals 40 and over have that problem. And that I'm being conservative when I say that. Number two test is just checking the vitamin D. And I'm going to end with this. Checking the vitamin D. I, it's a test that normally would cost $280, but you can get it. You can probably get it for $70 if you look for it. Okay? And... And that test will tell you whether you're deficient or not. And some, most of us think we're fine. Oh, I like being in the sun. I like being in the sun. Uh, I, I drink milk. There's plenty of vitamin D in milk, right? By the way, it's not there naturally. It's fortified. It's a supplemented. Okay? And you're never going to get enough vitamin D from drinking dairy. Uh, and by the way, I didn't mention it, but dairy products actually are subtle risk factor for prostate cancer. Okay? Uh, and so that's one reason I, uh, I, I certainly address that if there's a risk. Now, um, so what's the relationship between vitamin D and prostate cancer? It's huge, just like it is with breast cancer, colon cancer, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, and, and we could spend another hour talking about that. Okay, so, so that's why don't think you're okay because chances are you're not. When I thought it was okay, and then I checked my vitamin D because I've been telling everybody else to do it, so I said, well, after a couple of years, maybe I should do it myself. Okay, and then I did, and I was 25. Wow. I was low, and even though I was even supplementing vitamin D, and I like to be in the sun. So don't assume you're healthy because you're in the sun. As good as the sun is, I'm very big on the sun. It's just, it's just we live in a world where things don't work the way you think it does a lot of the time. And so we need to pay attention to things in objective testing. And the vitamin D activates a minimum of 2,000 genes in our body that otherwise are not going to work the way they should. And that could be ultimately part of our demise health-wise because we didn't take advantage of a simple natural remedy that's been available to us for so many, many years. Get your vitamin D tested in the fall and in the spring. And if you haven't had it tested, test it this week or next week. Get it done. Get a baseline and treat. And we'll talk more about that, I think, tomorrow. Yes. So I will yeah. sit down. Yeah. Okay. I just want to was on here, so yeah, you can give him applause. <laughs> he didn't finish all the information that you have in your book. And when you start uh, presenting this topic, you will find that people are interested in this topic. It may be a little heavy for some people, and you may get 
and you may want to get someone in your community who will also um, do as West has done. So it's a part of the method is to uh, present that which will help and also reinforce it with extra information on current research like has been done tonight. And so uh, anyway, we also have, uh, we'd like to follow this up with a real, really brief uh, dis group discussion. There are like twos or threes. Just get yourself really close and they're over here, you can do by threes. We're just gonna take a few, few minutes for you because this is part of the procedure this is part of the procedure that we like for you to do is present and then have small group discussion. Okay. Yes, so um, if you could uh, get into groups of, of uh, three or four, is that what you said? Um, let's go through um, together. Question one, three, on page 37, I'm sorry. Um, question one, three, and four. going to bring your discussion to a close. We know that you could have a lot of discussion on these, but maybe tomorrow continue with some of these, uh, these important ideas that you have and information. So we would like you to just look above there, the reflect and discuss where it has the prayer on page 37. <clears throat> As you're bringing the discussion to a close, we would like you to look at uh, page 37, right above, reflect and discuss. There's the prayer. We would like to pray that together. Is everybody there? Okay. Uh, just, uh, just join me. Uh, thank you, Lord that all, all our genes are passed down to us from our parents, yet you have made a way for us to turn off bad genes and to turn on good ones. Thank you that we are not slaves of fate, but we can choose the power that comes from you and can have heavenly help in conquering disease and character weakness. We accept that power now in Jesus' name. And uh, just to continue, precious Father in heaven, we know that uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that if we will just um, accept our weakness and your strength and rely on you, trust in you, do the things that we know that you have asked us to do, not because, uh, um, not because we're afraid, but because we love you. And uh, we want to use our bodies to glorify and honor you. We ask that you would help us with this Jesus, to give us strength to resist self and sin. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.